question. What are you seeking? I went to Walmart yesterday, and I did some interviews, because our theme this year is, what are you seeking? I want you to see what people who had no, no idea when they went to Walmart, I was going to ask them some questions, how they answered this question, what are you seeking? Check it out. Hey, Anchor Church, Pastor Ryan here. I'm like a reporter out on the street at Walmart, and I'm asking people one question, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want most in life? Let's see how different people answer that question. All right. So the question is, what are you searching for in life? Oh, I don't know. You had to say one thing, the thing you want most. I don't know if I'm necessarily searching, but my pride and joy are my kids. All right. So I guess searching for them to be good and happy in life. All right, Brianna. So here's the question. What are you looking for in life? Oh, I'm looking for in life, I want to... <laughs> I do want a better career. I do want to have kids one day. And then make the world good. Make the world a better place to live. One question. What are you seeking in life? Peace. All right, Kevin, if you could have one thing, the most important thing, what would it be? Well, it would be happiness for my family since I'm Catholic, but I'd really want a million or two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> a million or two. All right. All right, so I've got one question for you. All right, what is it? What are you seeking in life? One thing, what's what would you want? Um, I would want my old dog Hannah to be safe in heaven. Okay, David, here's the question if you could have one thing, anything, top thing on your list, what do you want most? Money. That's pretty much it. That you're searching for. If, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? Salvation. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Knowing that I'm saved and I am going to heaven once I die. Yeah. Amen! <laughs> Top of the list! <laughs> Alright, now it's your turn. What are you seeking? What do you want most? What are you looking for? You know, the first thing Jesus asked in the Gospel of John was a question. Go ahead. They had no clue. They just went shopping, and there I was, <laughs> waiting for them. But really, if I asked you that question, how would you answer it? Do you know that the Bible takes uh, our questions seriously? The Bible knows what we're looking for, and the first thing Jesus says in the Gospel of John is a question. He says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? How would you answer that? Do you know the first thing Jesus said after he rose again in the Gospel of John? Well, first he said, woman, why are you crying? Then he said... Who are you seeking? What are you seeking? Who are you seeking? What are you after in life? What do you think you need to be happy, secure, satisfied, safe? I would suggest to you that only when you seek the King of Heaven will you find what your soul most desires. Today we're going to go to John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. 
And if you got a bulletin, there's a note sheet in there. If you're uh, watching online, there's actually notes that you can find also in the app if you'd like to take notes. But number one, you can jot this down. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? In uh, John 1, verse 35, like nobody, nobody knows who Jesus is. I mean, like he had a miraculous birth and, you know, the angels showed up and the shepherds ran and told people. And then like nobody cared. Like uh, they had to go away for a while. Jesus didn't have a following. He wasn't like a child prodigy. Uh, so here he is. He's just living in obscurity and he's finding his first disciples. His first disciples are finding him. So in John 1.35, John the Baptist is the one telling people about Jesus. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, these are Jesus' first words in this gospel, What are you seeking? I want to freeze time right there. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of those disciples. You're face to face with Jesus Christ. He's about to begin his three-year ministry. Everyone in the world knows about him now, but you're among the first to find him. And he turns to you and says, what are you seeking? What is it that you're seeking? What is it that you're after? Our series up until Easter has been the life of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been called Solomon's Search for Meaning. And we tied our Easter theme into that when we realized that Jesus, first thing he said in John was, what are you seeking? Well, Solomon's Search for Meaning, he was looking for meaning and purpose. And Jesus is asking us, what are you seeking? He asked his disciples that. Solomon's testimony is very powerful. God appeared to him. You know Solomon, right? His daddy was King David who killed Goliath. He was destined for fame. God appeared to Solomon and said, ask for anything, anything at all. And do you know what he wanted? What did he want? Wisdom. wisdom. He said, I want wisdom. And God said, because you asked for this and not the lives of your enemies or fame, fortune, and glory, God said, I'll give you wisdom and I will also give you everything you didn't ask me for. Solomon became the richest man alive, the wisest man alive, and God began to build a reputation for Solomon that lasts to this day. God did that. But guess what? Even though he was the wisest man alive and had everything he wanted, was rich beyond imagination, he was miserable, not happy. And Ecclesiastes is his search for meaning, the book of the Bible, under the sun. What did he seek? Well, it was about 1,000 B.C., and it's interesting how he was looking for the same things we look for. You can write this down. He looked for wisdom. He wanted to learn everything he could about life, about nature, about animals, about people. He wanted to learn, learn, learn. He would have loved Jeopardy. How many of you are Jeopardy watchers? Put your hand up if you're a Jeopardy watcher. See, a lot of Jeopardy people in here. You value knowledge. Knowing things gives you an advantage in life. It helps you to feel like you're informed. And it kind of gives you a leg up, right, on those who maybe don't know as much as you do about the world. Uh, many people don't know this about me, but I went to Oxford. Here's a picture. This is Oxford when I went there. I was there for two days for a conference. <laughs> Sometimes I don't finish that sentence. I just say I went to Oxford. 
Here's what I learned, though, for my two-day tour. Here's the next picture. They love books at Oxford. This is one of the most beautiful libraries there. But just as you're looking at the books above ground, then during the tour, they tell you that under the city, they have a copy of every book humanity has ever written. It's the full library. Everything we can know is under the city is literally sitting on top of the sum total of human learning. You've got to go under and take like trains to get out to the books because it's on top of knowledge, everything we could know. Solomon would have loved the place. And guess what, though? That, just, that picture is something that Solomon discovered. The more you try and learn and find your way through wisdom, the more exhausting it becomes because it never ends. You'll wear yourself out. And actually, the more you learn about life, the more sad it becomes. There's a lot of things you learn that you wish you didn't know. It's a dead end. Solomon tried wisdom, jot this down. He tried virtue, being a good religious person. He wanted to be a good religious person. He knew that if you followed the wise ways and you were not corrupt and you were good and you, were, you knew God and you knew how to act around him, that life would be better. He was going to be a good religious person. Now, he, was, he had a divided heart. He still liked to, to sin a lot, but he tried to keep God in it for a while. He was a good, trying to be a good, virtuous, religious person. Here's a picture of some of the best people we've ever heard of, right? Gandhi, willing to, to starve himself and go without to try and, you know, bring peace to the world. Mother Teresa spent her entire life on orphans. And, um, you know, Tom Hanks has been ranked the number one most trusted actor in Hollywood. In other words, everyone has voted him the best guy of all the celebrities. A good person. Um, Bill Gates and Oprah uh, to his right. Both people who invest so much money we couldn't even imagine in the underprivileged in, in Africa. Virtue. Being a good religious person. Somebody once said, good personism is the fastest growing religion on earth. Good personism. Maybe this is what you're trying. Maybe Jeopardy isn't your thing. You just want to be a good, decent person who doesn't break any of the big rules. Maybe that's your way, your path. Do you know what Solomon learned? He learned that everyone sins. In Ecclesiastes, he says we've all sinned. It says it also in the New Testament, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can never, ever be good enough. It's a dead end. And even if you're good and you do what's right and you don't hurt people, you will suffer. You will suffer and you will eventually die. In other words, it's a dead end. It won't take you where you want it to go. Jot this down. Solomon tried pleasure. He tried pleasure, indulging all of his desires. Wisdom's not working, and virtue's not working. I'm just going to party. Maybe this is the road you're on right now. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow I die. What, what's the point? I'm just going to live it up. And Solomon, if he wanted it, he took it. He, he indulged all of his desires. Do you know he had a thousand wives and concubines? My goodness. Do you know that he could eat as much as he wanted to all day long? He could drink wine. And do you know he could, he could just party all day long if he wanted to? It's like spring break could never end. Do you know there's big trouble in Miami this year during spring break? Here's a picture of the news article that came out. Miami Beach declares state of emergency following multiple spring break shootings. 
Officials in the city of Miami Beach declared a state of emergency after a weekend that included shootings and overwhelming spring break crowds in South Beach's entertainment district. We intend to declare a public emergency effective this Saturday. They had to put a curfew in place. He says at the bottom, if you want to see what a very frustrated and angry mayor looks like, you're looking at him. The party wasn't stopping. People were getting hurt. The mayor had to come out and say, that's it, you're all going home. And listen, the further you go down the party path, the more it won't satisfy you. The more trouble comes from that. And you know Solomon said it. He says it's a dead end. He said he indulged all of his desires and it didn't fulfill him. He felt empty in the end. Jot this down. He tried greatness. He tried building and achieving great things. He had ships that would bring him every couple of years tons of gold. Tons and tons of gold. They found mines where he could have as much gold as he wanted. Everything was gold. He drank only out of gold uh, cups in his day. Gold was everywhere. Silver was worthless. Do you know that they've calculated based on the gold that he lists he had that his net worth would have at least been in the hundreds of billions? He would be richer today than anyone alive. Let that sink in. Back then, 1000 BC, he had more net worth just in the gold than anyone alive today. Elon Musk today is the um, richest man, right? And so last week, what did he do? He, he made a 273, um, uh, or his net worth is $273 billion. So what he did was he made a cash offer to buy Twitter last week. Did you hear about that? Cash offer, buy Twitter. I'll just buy it. Cash. Here, cash. I'll just buy it. Wow! He's got so much money. Uh, and, uh, but is that really what he's after? Check it out. Here's, here's a, an interview with him recently. Here's what he said. What really fires him up? What fires me up the most He's talking about why he's into space travel. Let's go out there and find out what this universe is all about. He said, how did we get here? Listen, what is the meaning of life? What's he really searching for? Do you know Jeff Bezos said the same thing? That's why he's into space. We've got to get out there. We've got to find why we're here. We've got to find why we're here up there. That's the heart of Solomon. He's got it all, and what does he really want? What does he really want? Answers for why we're here. Here's the problem. He tried everything, and he still wasn't happy. So check out Ecclesiastes 2, 9 to 11. Here's what it says. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. The toil I had expended in doing it, behold, all was vanity a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I don't know what you're chasing. I don't know what you're trying. I don't know what you think will make you happy or safe or satisfied. I don't know what or who you think will make you feel special. But don't you feel like you're chasing after the wind? Don't you feel like you should have found it by now? Don't you feel like the highs should be lasting longer and the lows should be lasting shorter and that's just not the way it is? Don't you feel the way Solomon did? Here's the reality. Nothing on earth can satisfy your soul. Have you realized that? Nothing on earth can satisfy. You can try the next dead end. Nothing on earth can satisfy your soul, at least for long. That's why in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said this, Also, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Eternity has been placed in your heart. 
You were made to seek something eternal. It can't be found on earth. It can't be found on Amazon. It can't be found at Costco. It can't be found here. It has to come from somewhere else. So the question is this, what are you seeking? And are you going to settle for the best earth has to offer? Or are you going to seek the best heaven sent down? We froze time here in John chapter 1, verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Let's read on. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They were seeking him. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. 4 p.m., and they got to spend the whole day with Jesus. That's what they wanted. How amazing is that? And when that was over, they ran and started telling people about him. Andrew found his brother, Peter. They went and found others. We found, we found the Messiah. Jesus found Philip. All these disciples are now coming together. They were going to turn the world upside down. They didn't even know it. And then in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. We're going to zero in on Nathanael's story here. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now he said Nazareth there. Nazareth is like low-class town, okay? Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. So they're all invited to come and see who Jesus is. Jot this down, number two. Are you ready to discover who Jesus is? Are you ready? I'm saying it to you. Come and see. I'm saying it to you. Come and see. I don't know what you know about Jesus. I don't know what you've been chasing in life. But I'm saying to you, like they heard back then, come, come and see. Are you ready? Are you willing to come and discover who Jesus is? What, what are they discovering about him? Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, verse 47, and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus talked to Nathanael as if he knew him. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now go like this, because when Nathanael first heard, he was like this. Go ahead and cross your arms. Just cross your arms like this. Come on, humor me. Just cross your arms. Okay. And I'm going to say, We found the Messiah, and you're going to say, mm. Okay. That's your line. We found the Messiah. <laughs> Do you know people like that? I don't believe it. Nathaniel walks up like this. I don't believe it. Jesus says, here's an Israelite in whom there's nothing false, no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you know, whatever, an hour ago, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. He's sold. How did he go from to he's the one. He's the one. This is him. All right, Jesus did two things. He said, I saw you under the fig tree. Okay, they didn't have ring cams back then. So, if, so back then, if you saw someone when they were all alone and you weren't there, it was freaky. You can't do, they didn't have drones there was no Google Earth. So Jesus knew where he was when Philip came up to him. Okay, do you know what that demonstrates about Jesus? Omnipresence. 
That's a trait only God can have. I saw you there. And then he says to Nathaniel, here's an Israelite, in, in whom, in, in whom there's nothing false. He sees straight into his heart. He sees in here, that's omniscience. When you realize that Jesus sees you wherever you are and he knows exactly what's in your heart, wow, wow, what are they discovering? He's the one. They're discovering that Jesus is the Messiah. They are convinced and they're learning about him. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. You ain't ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. For some people, it takes a lot. For Nathaniel, he was in. And Jesus is like, just wait. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He was referring to an Old Testament story with Jacob that we'll get to in a moment. But listen to what Jesus said. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's referring to himself Jesus is referring to himself right there. You'll see heaven opened and you'll see angelic beings going up, coming down uh, on on me. We need to unpack what they just discovered about Jesus, okay? Because there's a lot in here. Jot this down. Jesus alone can take away your sins. Write that down. They discovered that because it says in verse 36, behold the Lamb of God. I want you to know what that means, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is an Old Testament image, that's where it began, where the Israelites were in bondage. Moses, you remember, let my people go, showdown with the Pharaoh. Remember, have you ever seen a Charlton Heston movie? You know, how old are you? Come on now. If you've seen it, there, there's a duel, right, between Pharaoh and God. Moses was there confronting the Pharaoh. The Israelites were in slavery, plague after plague pounded the city. Here's a picture of a painting that somebody made where, where these plagues were just destroying a glorious, beautiful city back then, and a, really a superpower, and Pharaoh didn't care. He kept hardening his heart, and God hardened his heart, and then it weren't. Finally, the last thing that happened was the death of the firstborn. God said, look, you, basically, you know, they threw the Israelite babies into the Nile a while ago, and God said, you know what, if you don't let my people go, all the firstborn in your land are going to die. Pharaoh still hardened his heart, didn't, didn't care. And so God told the Israelites, look, my destroying angel is coming tonight. You have to take the blood of a lamb. And as a sacrifice of faith, you have to put the blood on top of the doorframe. Okay? And then when my destroying angel comes, it will see the blood of the sacrifice of faith. And the wrath will pass over you and it will fall on them. And this was terrible. There were tens of thousands of funerals in a day. And the destroying angel came, and all the firstborn of Egypt were put to death. But guess what? Not one person died in the camp of the Israelites. Why? Because God saw the blood over the door, and his wrath passed by. So when when Jesus is called the Lamb of God, that was a picture of how God will save you. At the cross, Jesus died, and his blood was shed. He's the Lamb of God. 
Now, not just any lamb could be the, it had to be without spot or blemish. That means Jesus had to be perfect. He offered himself as a perfect sinless sacrifice for you and me. Because he died on the cross and his blood was shed, if you understand that Jesus is your sacrifice of faith, he died in your place, then his blood covers over your life and God's wrath passes you by. It passes you by. Have you discovered that Jesus is the Lamb of God? He alone can take away your sins. Here's a picture of the cross. And, you know, when you ask people how they're going to get to heaven, a lot of people will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've lived life the way that I think that I should live. Do you realize that you're insulting the sacrifice of Christ? If you're a pretty good person, you don't need anyone to come rescue you. If you say you're doing it on your own, you turn away from the blood of Christ. And do you know that the Bible says if you say you're without sin, you call God a liar? Hey, please don't make that your plan on Judgment Day. When you stand before the pearly gates, okay, bad plan for you to say, liar! Don't call God a liar. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus had to die for us. He alone can take away our sins. Is that what you've discovered about Jesus? Now jot this down. He alone is king who reigns forever. It says, you're the king of Israel. You're the king. And also, when it says in verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, that means the Lord's anointed. That's what he would call his king in the Old Testament and also his high priest. But we're focused here on the kingship of Jesus. Jesus is actually God's king and priest and prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses said, there will be a prophet like me who will come, listen to him. And Moses was a deliverer and he spoke for God, and Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament, which is why they said here, we found the one who Moses and the prophets talked about. He was the promised Messiah. Um, Jesus was also a descendant of David, and God promised to David that one of his descendants would rule forever, the Davidic covenant. He would be an eternal king, a special king, not just of Israel, but of the whole world and the king of heaven. Therefore, because Jesus is the king of kings, the king of heaven, he's the rightful ruler of your life. So, if I were to say, today, I want you to choose to give Jesus the throne of your life. You're not giving him something that's rightfully yours. You're giving him back something that was always rightfully his. You really had no place taking command of your own life because Jesus is the king. I know what you're thinking. In America, we don't like kings. I've shared this before, but here's a picture of King George during the Revolutionary War when we were fighting for our independence. Blech. Who wants that? We didn't. And here's the next picture, which is why we tore down a statue of him when the Revolutionary War broke out and we melted it down into musket balls and fired it back at the Redcoats. Because that's what we think about kings. Maybe you've really been at war with God your whole life. He alone is the king who reigns forever. And then jot this down. He alone is the son of God who came from heaven. Nathaniel said in verse 49, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. It says in verse 34, I've seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. Now here early in Jesus' ministry, they, didn't even, they couldn't begin to understand what exactly that meant. Son of God was also a title for king, but the Apostle John in this gospel really made this a central theme, so we know 
what this means. In John 1.14, here's what he says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you discovered that Jesus is God's only eternal Son? Maybe you've heard it said we're all children of God, but the Bible actually says that there's only one who bears the divine essence, and that's Jesus. Jesus has been God's Son from the beginning. They, they are one. Which is why Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one, and they picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. The Bible says we can become children of God, but we have to be adopted in through faith. We are not born children of God. Jesus, however, has an unobstructed view of God and an unmediated relationship with God. That makes him one of a kind. And so, therefore, he's the only one as the Son of God who can come down and represent God to you. He's the only representative. And he called himself the Son of Man. Because he's the Son of Man, which means he was fully human, he's the only one who can represent us to God. Job longed for this. Oh, if there was just someone who could come between us and mediate, and this is who Jesus is. He's the Son of God who came down from heaven. Now let's look back at that uh, verse 50, that passage. Jesus said, you'll see greater things than this. Verse 51, he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, what does that mean? Well, Nathaniel would have understood that in Genesis 28, Jacob was on the run. He stole his brother's birthright and his blessing and Esau, and he was running away. And when he set his head down on, on his way out, God appeared to him. And what he saw was heaven opened, and he saw a giant ladder or stairway that went all, can you even imagine it, all the way up beyond the sky, disappearing all the way up, 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 a ladder or maybe a stairway to heaven, right? The Led Zeppelin song. You know, a stairway all the way up, and angels were coming down and going up. And Jacob saw this in a vision, and he woke up, and he said, how awesome is this place? This must be the very dwelling place of God, the very gate of heaven. So Nathaniel would have known what Jesus was claiming. Jesus said, you will see heaven opened, and they did. They did. After he died and rose again, they saw heaven open to receive Jesus. And the Apostle John, author of this book in the book of Revelation, saw heaven opened again when he saw the future before Jesus comes back. And Jesus is coming back. And guess what? Heaven is going to open. They did see this. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you realize what this means? Nathaniel realized that he was encountering the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the King of Heaven, the, the Son of God who came down, how awesome is this person? I'm facing the very gateway to heaven. He discovered who Jesus was. I don't know what you're looking for in life. I would really have loved if someone at Walmart said, I'm looking for the very gate of heaven. I want someone who can not only take away my sins, but the sins of the entire world. I want a king who's going to reign forever perfectly over a kingdom that'll never end. And I want the only son of God to come down right in front of me and show me the way home. Hey, doesn't that sound incredible? Isn't that really what you want? Isn't that really what you need? 
Isn't that really what you were made for? Isn't that better than anything else you could possibly be searching for in life right now? Isn't he better than anyone else you're seeking to fill a void in your life right now? How awesome is this place, the very gate of heaven? Number one, what are you seeking? Solomon sought wisdom, virtue, pleasure, and greatness, and it all emptied him out. Number two, are you ready to discover who Jesus is? He alone can take away your sins. He alone is the king who reigns forever. He alone is the son of God who came from heaven and opens the way back up for us. He's the only one. So now the third question is this. Are you ready to proclaim Jesus is king? Are you ready to proclaim Jesus is king? This is now my question for you. Just as Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. I've said to you, come and see. Do you know this morning, I want to give you a chance. Just as Nathaniel went from to being a believer in Jesus. I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But this morning, I want to give you a chance in a few minutes to actually, for the first time, give Jesus the throne of your life. Uh, I want you here and now, in a couple minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to actually proclaim that Jesus is your king. I want to share one more story with you first, though. We talked about Solomon. We talked about Nathaniel. Let's talk about Mary Magdalene now. She was the first one to see Jesus in John chapter 20. We'll put it up on the screen for you. But Mary Magdalene was transformed by Christ. Do you know that she had seven demons in her? Okay, you think you got problems? It doesn't matter what problems you listed. Unless you have seven demons in you, she's got you beat. And imagine the people around her. You think you've got crazy relatives. Watch out. All right, so Mary, crazy Mary, seven demons in her. Jesus cast them all out. Gone. Gave her a new lease on life. She loved Jesus. She was the one who stayed longest at the tomb on the first Easter. And her story shows up in John 20. And in verse uh, 15, Jesus appears to her. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And here's the question. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. He said her name. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. She grabbed him or fell at his feet, and we don't know. She grabbed onto him. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, ran inside, and announced to the disciples, first one ever to say it, I have seen the Lord. Her. I don't know if you feel like you're not worthy of God or you've gone too far or you've broken too many commandments or you're hopeless, worthless, you've ruined your life. You're wrong. You're wrong. First person, first person he revealed himself to was Crazy Mary, who he healed. He let her be the first one to say it. How beautiful is that? John says in his gospel that the purpose he wrote this whole book in John 20, 31, here's what he said. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is what I want for you. 
that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Whatever you're searching for, whatever you're looking for, whatever dead ends you've gone down, I want you here and now this morning to seek the King of Heaven. To say, Jesus, I want you to be my King. To admit that you've sinned. To admit that you've been a terrible CEO of your own life. To stop pretending to be a good person. And to say, do you know what? I need to become a saved person. I need Jesus to rescue me. I want to give you a chance in just a minute to actually respond to what you're hearing right now. Those of you who are in person, I'm going to give you a chance to say today's the day that I'm asking Jesus to be my Savior and my King. And even those who are online watching in their living room or their bedroom or in their pajamas or wherever you're at, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what you're learning about Jesus as well. Do you have a testimony of when you discovered who Jesus is and when you responded to that by repenting and believing the good news. I have a story. When I was a freshman in college, my friend, he was the bass player in my heavy metal band. I was the drummer. Do you want to see a picture? Here's a picture. The bass player in my heavy metal band, uh, Andy, invited me, that was me, and my girlfriend, Lauren, invited me to to church. And for the first time, I thought you kind of had to work your way up and get points, you know. I was raised where you had to like do a lot of religion to try and get saved. And you know what I heard? I heard the Bible said this, it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That verse turned my life around. I realized that God was giving me a free gift in Jesus Christ. All I had to do was reach out and accept it. I had to let go of my pride and admit I can't be good enough, religious enough. I can't do it. I can't do it. He did it. When I, and I knelt down next to my bed and asked Jesus to save me. And you know, an angel didn't appear and the ground didn't shake, but God saved me because I humbled myself and he called me unto eternal life. Hey, has that happened to you? You have to have a story in your life when you respond to the truth about Jesus and you ask him to save you. It can happen when you're 5, 55, 95, but you have to have a story. Your story can't be, I went to church. Your story can't be, my parents did a religious ritual for me. Your story can't be, I did all these good things. That's, that's not being saved. Being saved is when you get on your knees before Jesus and you say, save me, be my king. Then you have a relationship, not a ritual, a relationship with a risen Savior? Do you have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ that came about after you turned away from your sins and crowned him to be your king? Many of you don't. And if it's foggy at all, do not assume you're okay. Assume God is prompting you today to nail that down. If you don't have a testimony, I'm going to give you a chance to make today your testimony. Jesus loved to ask questions. And you know, one of the most powerful questions he ever asked to his disciples is he said this, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I want you today to answer that question. Do you say that he is the Lamb of God who can take away your sins? Do you say that he alone is the King who will reign forever? Do you say that he alone is the Son of God who came down? Do you say he is the very gateway of heaven and your only hope of getting there? Do you say that? 
Is that your answer? Do you want to proclaim Jesus as your king today? In a few seconds, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to respond to what you've heard. Because the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I know right now, God, in your heart, in some of your hearts, he's whispering right now, today is your time. Today is your time. You need to nail this down today. What I'm going to give you a chance to do is to just simply show that you want to proclaim Jesus your king by standing up so that I can pray with you. But I don't want you to be alone because nobody likes to be standing alone. So I want you to see that there are other people who are being transformed by this truth as well. So let me ask, if you have come to Jesus Christ within the last year, Will you please stand up if within the last year you have come to know Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord? Will you please stand up if that's you? Jack, thank you so much. Anybody else? Jason? If, if the last year has been when you received Jesus as Savior and Lord, will you stand up? All right, what about within the last five years? Within the last five years, if that's when God got you, stand up. So these are the people who within the last five years have discovered what you're discovering today. You're not alone. God is transforming lives all around you. Now, those of you who are standing, will you remain standing to give courage to people who are discovering now today what you discovered? Will you just remain standing? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes and we're going to bow our heads. I don't want people to be watching you. This is between you and God. But everybody close your eyes and really bow your heads. And here's what I'm going to do. If like these people who have been transformed by Christ, you know today's your day. I'm going to ask you to stand up in a moment. And I want you to have that courage to say, yes, Jesus, today, today I proclaim you as my king. You're only standing up so that I can pray with you. We're not asking you to do anything else. And you're not standing alone because there are other people around you. So why wouldn't you? If God is moving in your heart, and you know you've been wearing yourself out. You've hit one dead end after another. And today God has made it clear to you that you can be saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You just need to proclaim him king. Why wouldn't you do it? All right. Three seconds. This is your chance. One, two, three. Stand up right now. Be courageous and stand up right now. Show that you are responding right now. Go ahead. Stand up. This is just you and God. Nobody's watching. There are other people around you who are doing the same thing and feeling the same thing. If you want to declare Jesus as your king, go ahead and stand up right now. Even if you're at home, even if you're all alone at home, I want to ask you to do it too, to just stand up. Even if nobody's around watching, just stand up. All right, so you didn't have to be the first one, but you didn't miss it. There's still time for you to stand up. 
Go ahead, right now. Just stand up. Just stand up and show God. Show Jesus, I'm going to make you my king. Stand up right now. give you a few seconds. Be brave. pray with you right now, if today's your day, if this is your time, I want to pray with you right now, and I want you to say this with me in your heart. These aren't magic words, but this is a prayer of faith that will save you if you truly mean it. Pray this with me in your heart. Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. Go ahead and say that in your heart. Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. I believe you're the Lamb of God. Go ahead, say that. I believe you're the Lamb of God. Take away all my sins. I believe you are the perfect Son of God. I believe you are the King forever. Jesus, I proclaim you are my King. If you prayed that in your heart this morning, You're born again. Jesus is your Savior and your King and your friend forever. And I want to pray over you right now. Father, for all of those at home or in person right now who are saying today's the day. Today's the day that I proclaim Jesus is my King. Today's the day I say that He is the Lamb of God. Oh Lord, fill them with hope and joy and peace that that this world cannot give them. Oh Lord, I pray that within them you would reassure them that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. Jesus, I pray that they would have hope in you, confidence in you, because you died and rose again. And I pray, O Lord, just as Nathaniel said it, you're the Son of God, you're the King. May their own hearts say that as well. May they rest assured that they have been washed, that they have been cleansed. I do pray that they would make the decision to publicly profess their faith in the near future so that everyone can celebrate with the angels of heaven. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And let's all stand up to sing together. Amen.